listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 284. I'm your host, Annika Harrison, and joining me this week is my co-host Pontus Böckmann. Hallo! Hey son, hey son! So I guess we've lost Andras again. Yeah. We keep misplacing one of the three <laughs> musketeers here on the show. But yeah. Hope you can live with that. I hope he wasn't swept away by the flood, Annika. Yeah, I, I don't think he was because he's in Hungary. <laughs> he travels a lot. He travels a lot. He could have traveled to Germany, but luckily he didn't because that was that was a deep blow, so they say, this week. I was just saying before we started recording here, I was worried for you, Annika, for a while there. You didn't immediately reply when I asked <laughs> yes. if you were okay. Which is and unlikely it, for me because I usually reply pretty quickly. Right, and it was very close to where you live, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's like luckily we didn't get any, like we didn't get hit at all. The only thing we saw was that the river was a bit higher but close to where my parents live uh, it was it was pretty high there was a water reservoir um, flowing over in, in Wuppertal and then also where friends of mine live in the Eiffel region they had I almost want to call it clusterfuck happening there um, <laughs> yeah because it was like not only were they flooded but then houses collapsed and whole landslides happened and I was just like, yeah, it was it was hard to see. Mm. There's still people missing. More than a hundred people are dead. So it was something we're definitely not used to because we are very spoiled right. in Germany. We always think we're safe. Yeah, I think so. I mean, in Europe as a whole, I think we're we're pretty uh, safe from natural disasters. We don't think that would ever happen. We read about it, we hear about it in the news, but it's usually yeah. in India, Bangladesh. It's it's here. It's over there, and we think. We're so privileged, we think it won't happen to us. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's always the tone of surprise of like, how could that happen to us? And it's like, obviously, of course it happens to us because we're not better than other people. Like, <laughs> it's not, nothing to do with being better or worse. It's just, that's what, what nature does. And Yeah, we're just spoiled. Yeah, we're just very spoiled. But it, it goes also to show how real climate change is because... Yeah. These kind of extreme weathers, yes, weather is not climate, <laughs> we know that. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. these kind of like extreme weather events, there will be they will be more likely with with the climate change intensifying. Yeah, and usually experts are very hesitant to say that well, we don't know, we can't say that this particular event is due to climate change. It's as you said, it's weather, weather is not climate. But in this case, I've heard many experts say, well, okay, yeah. This this is climate change. <laughs> There's no denying this. Yeah, especially yeah. we all had floods before. Like in my lifetime, I uh, like when I was 11, we also had a flood where my parents lived. Mm. But that was what they called uh, in German Jahrhundertflut. So like a right, so, a flood yeah. that only happens every a hundred years or like every 80, every 120, right. something like that. And now it's only 20 years later, and and the next flood already happened like that. You know. Yeah. It's like it just went like five times worse. And, and that is something we can put down to climate change. Yes. Not that it's like it doesn't, it, it did exist before, but like the. Yeah, it comes more often and it comes harder every time as well. Yes, because like housing, houses collapsing, that's something that I didn't really hear of much in Germany before. No. No. 
Yeah, for for the flood, there were also pretty interesting posts on uh, the internet because, of course, tinfoil hat wearers <laughs> blamed chemtrails and the election in September for the floods. <laughs> so, the election? Yeah, I was just like... How does that work? Really, guys? Yeah, they, they, I don't know. They, they were just like, oh, it's a conspiracy. Look, there was an election there. There was a flood there in Hamburg. There was an election there. There was a flood there at the Oder. Oh, and so on. And they just like wrote it down and it just, just coincided. Magical thinking. How would that even work? I mean, oh, was no. it because there was an election or because people voted the wrong way? Or what? what's the reasoning? Probably both. I have no, no. idea. But I, so we should... Oh, yeah. So if we cancel all democracy, we will get rid of floods. That's what they're saying then. Very likely. Mm. Yeah, but um, also in regards to the flood, a few people we all know and love, like uh, Lydia Benecke, Bernd Harder, Holm Hümmler and Tommy Krabweis and others... They are collecting money to donate it. Um, mm -hmm. They will do it, of course, when this episode comes out. It will be in the past that they did their live event for that because they will do that on the 20th. Mm -hmm. But they will still collect money until Saturday. So if you listen to this where, like right when it comes out, you still have time until the evening of the 24th of July to send some money if you want to and if you feel up to it and we of course will put the link in the show notes yeah yeah that was quite a week yeah but i hear also good news from germany annika and that is that one of our not so favorite misinformation nut job had some well-deserved setback and i'm talking about sukarit bhakti or however you pronounce that people send us your sound files Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not even German, but because he's not of German descent. He's, he's, he's from Thailand originally, I think. Oh, don't ask me. I can quickly Google it. Uh, yeah, I think it's. I saw that flashing by. Anyway, doesn't matter where <laughs> he's from. We have mentioned him uh, several times in the past, and now he has been dumped by his publisher. He had a best-selling book out last year, and I, I think a new one also this spring, But apparently his publisher has had enough and dropped all collaboration with, with him. Uh, and I'm going to quote the publisher who said, Not only do we not understand the current statements of Professor Bagdi, they are beyond our understanding. We are deeply affected and both as publisher and as a person, we clearly distance ourselves from his right-wing ideas and his anti-Semitism. So that's pretty damning. He is, uh, and this is from a publisher that apparently has made money on this guy and yeah. uh, could continue to do so. Yeah. But even they have had enough now. It's like if, if you support him after what he said, you can mm. pretty much also hang out the, the Nazi flag outside of your house. You know, right. it's like, yeah. I'm not saying he's a Nazi, obviously, but it was very, very bad. Well, he said that the Jewish community was worse now than Nazi Germany. That yeah. is not something you want to say, ever. Yeah, he totally also, like, he, he victim blamed. He, he was like, right. yeah, they learned, and that's why they can be, like, super evil now, because they learned from the Nazi. And this is, like, so total rubbish, but also very anti-Semitic rubbish, and very dangerous what he's like what he was spewing about and it is like yeah. no you don't want to support that at all you want to keep it like a 10 foot pole between you and him yeah. it's like no definitely not 
Yeah, and I forgot to mention, but the books he has written is about uh, different flavors of COVID denial and anti-vax. He's an anti-vaxxer, obviously. And uh, it's strange that that goes hand in hand with also being an anti-Semite and uh, just seems to be a terrible person. So good riddance. But I, I would suspect, though, that he will be back. I'm predicting now, I'm using my psychic powers, saying that this is not the last we've heard from Sukarit Bhakti. Yes. Sadly, it's like sometimes they just like fall down more into the trap, so to say. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure, I mean, you can self-publish books if yeah. nothing else, and yeah. he'll find, or he'll find another publisher, and he pr- probably has a following. People who who think, uh, yeah, I don't know what they think, but I shouldn't speak for them. But he has a following. He yeah. sold hundreds of thousands of his first book. So, so like best news out of Germany: flood and idiots. So let's get over to this weekend skepticism. Hey, <laughs> for some so. bit of optimism in these hard times. <laughs> Yeah, so this week I want to talk about, um, I would pronounce it German. Very good. Gregor Johann Mendel. And he was born on the 20th of July, 1822. He died on the 6th of January, 1854. And he was a meteorologist, a mathematician, a biologist, an Augustinian friar and abbot of St. Thomas Abbey. And he's also pretty much known as the founder of modern genetics. He got this recognition only posthumous because back then they didn't know how important it was. I actually got to know him in school in biology because he was the one, he was the guy who worked with pea plants. So with plant height, the pot shape, the color, the seed shape and color and the flower position and color. And he found out that the first generation of like, if you have a dominant green plant and a yellow plant then the first generation will be following the dominant color and the second generation will have recessive and dominant colors for i'm just saying colors but of course all the uh, all the traits but all the colors traits, what yeah. was he was easiest yeah, to exactly. study i guess exactly yeah. and then you have in the, in the second generation you have a distribution of one to three so three of the dominant one of the recessive he even coined the terms recessive and dominant. Hmm. It's pretty cool if you think about it. Because we still use that, um, for example, to talk about eye color, where you're like, yeah, uh, my mom has blue eyes and my dad has uh, brown eyes, so uh, it's more likely that I will have brown eyes because my uh, it's a, d- a dominant trait, right. for example. And that goes back to Mendel. I must say, we, we learned about it in school as well when yeah. I was a kid, so I think that's part of common wisdom knowledge yeah. now and it's pretty impressive because he didn't know the function no. and how it worked he was just yeah. making observations exactly and he was one of these interesting people he he wanted to study but he was really struggling financially and that's why he eventually joined this augustinian uh, monastery so that's yeah, why he right. became a monk i did notice that he had quite a lot of jobs yeah that, that was pretty much his reason was was to have a livelihood while being able to study and research hmm. an interesting thing that got noted out of his work later was that his work or his observations almost seemed too good to be true so while nobody thinks that he necessarily like fabricated anything today they think that he might have fallen into the trap of confirmation bias at times 
Yes. It's not quite as simple, as regular as he made it out to be. Exactly. Yes. It's, it's just like a bit more complicated. <laughs> yes. And there are random chances and sometimes yeah. it doesn't work. And if you talk about eye color, for instance, I, I believe there are many different genes that all yes. in- influence. It's not just one gene that can be either green or blue. It, exactly. It's more, much more complicated than that. Yes. It's very, very complicated, especially if you're not talking about peas anymore. Right. <laughs> but even with peas, it's very uh, complicated. But he still is dubbed the father of genetics because he he coined these terms and did a few interesting and important steps. And because we're talking about genetics anyways, I would just also like to say that I think, like my opinion is that gene food is also really cool and is a really wonderful thing that can actually save people and and is not Mm. dangerous to eat despite what... A lot of nut jobs think. <laughs> the GMO scare mongers say yes. Yes, exactly. It's, it's yeah. like I I think it's it's wonderful. I I, th- I think so too. I, I mean, of course, it is a very powerful technique, and you have to be careful on how you use it. But mm-hmm. to say that you cannot use it at all, that's stupid, because then you say no to a whole lot of yeah. things. And actually, it's not one of the news items today, but one of the things that I saw when I was doing my research for today was that there was a call from a number of Swedish scientists for the Swedish government to promote changing the rules about GMO in EU because we are ignoring something or we are banning something that can be very, very useful. Yes. And used correctly is very, very safe. Yeah, especially when we're looking at the climate crisis. Like we have science, we have enough food technically right now for everyone. We just need to make the best out of it and not stop ourselves and our, in our potential because we're afraid. <laughs> yeah. But going back to the start, um, happy birthday, Gregor Mendel, I would say. <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> okay. So Pontus, do we have a Pope today? We do have a Pope. Yes. Okay, then let's just jump over to the Pope. Okie dokie. So, yeah, I want to start with a Pontus was wrong statement. Uh, <laughs> because two weeks ago when I talked about the Pope, this is when he had his uh, Heiliger Stuhl incident. <laughs> and uh, I said that he was giving the Angelus prayers the same weekend that he had the surgery. That is technically true, but he actually gave the Angelus prayers before he had his surgery. So he it was a little bit more serious than I thought. Overall, this health issue seems to have been downplayed a little bit too much by the Vatican. And maybe it was a little bit serious than anybody um, was led to believe. So first of all, they say it was a planned surgery, but nobody had heard of it beforehand. If there was a plan, why didn't anybody know about it? And then the doctor who performed the surgery at the Gemelli Hospital, he was not allowed to comment in public, which is unusual. All the communication had to go through the Vatican. And then they said immediately after, they said he will stay in hospital for a couple of days, maybe three days. And then that was changed to a week. And then in real life, he actually stayed there for 10 days. And now he's not allowed to travel before September. So I don't know. I don't want to make too big a thing of that. Maybe I don't think he's mortally ill or will die any directly now but it's suspicious that they sort of downplayed it so much and it actually didn't fit with the facts 
And it's not just me. All this has started uh, quite a lot of speculation on his health in general. And also, of course, by extension, who is going to be the next pope? If and when. Not not if, because one day he will... <laughs> He will croak. <laughs> Unless he is the vampire pope. <laughs> Could be. That would be a first. Maybe we'd have a zombie pope. I'm looking forward to covering that as a news item. But at the moment, we still assume that sooner or later he will die and somebody will take over. And who is that person? But anyway, for the moment, he's back in action and he shows no sign of taking it easy. For listeners with very good memories, uh, because I had almost forgotten about it, but I mentioned in episode 277 that Francis was likely, it said at the time, to overturn one of Benedict's legacies. And that's exactly what he did now on Friday, last Friday. He issued a so-called motu proprio, which is a, it's a kind of a decree where he decides basically, as the dictator is, <laughs> what, what, what the rules are. The topic for this motu proprio, for me as an outsider, is not very exciting. It concerns the Latin mass. So what words you're allowed or you should use when you have your prayers and you have your mass. It should be strictly regulated in a way, but it turns out it's not. It has been debated ever since the Middle Ages and it has been changed many times. And the last big revision was in 1970 after the big Vatican II Council, which was in the 60s. And that version replaced the version from just eight years before, which was in 1962. Maybe too much detail, but the controversy is that the 1962 version, the previous version, has remained pretty popular with conservative forces in the church. And because of that, Benedict in 2008 had his own motu proprio, where he said it doesn't matter which one you use, you're free to use the old one or the new one, just do whatever you please, basically. But what Francis said last Friday was, no, he contradicts Benedict, he said, no, you must use the new one unless you have a formal permission from your bishop. And that bishop, in turn, must get formal permission directly from the Pope first. So he directly contradicts Benedict, who we all know is still around. Uh, which is a bit controversial and unusual in itself. The significance of all of this here is that the official line has always been that Francis and Benedict are not in opposition to each other. But here we have an example where they actually are. And Francis has decided to make an official statement about that. So very important for believers, I believe. <laughs> and for uh, people who follow the details, I think... This is Latin anyway. <laughs> Who in <laughs> hell understands Latin when you uh, say it from the pulpit? In a way, it's a ridiculous topic for them to uh, go on about, but I guess that comes with a job as a pope. In the meanwhile, there are other things happening uh, in the Vatican. There are two important legal trials proceeding in the Vatican. We've mentioned both of them before. One is the sexual abuse trial against a priest who, before he was a priest, he allegedly repeatedly abused a fellow youth when they were both at the St. Pius X Youth Seminary in the actual Vatican, which is why this is important. All the other abuse cases we, we've heard about have been outside of the Vatican, but this is something that happened basically on the Pope's backyard, and this is why it's interesting to follow. 
they're probably going to make a recess now during August, so we will continue to follow this in the autumn when it, when it resumes. Then there's the other trial against the Cardinal Betu, which I have mentioned several times now in the past. And this is regarding financial fraud and embezzlement. And of course, this is important because this is the first time in modern times that an actual cardinal is being prosecuted for fraud in the Vatican. That, that's very unusual. Then I have one last follow-up. So those two trials, we will see uh, what happens with them further on. But there's one last follow-up. Um, as we also have reported a month ago, the Vatican, for the first time ever, exercised its right to file an opinion on an Italian law against hate crimes against LGBT plus persons. So if this law will pass, it's still unclear. It's heavily discussed in the Italian Senate at the moment. It is already passed in the lower house. But even if the Senate is very divided in this law, and they are, it's not certain if it will pass or not. The interesting thing is that nobody, none of the senators are referring to the Vatican opinion in their arguments. And that's a bit ironic because it's the first time ever that the Vatican tried to interfere with Italian law it seems like the Italians are not taking a lot of uh, notice of it. They, they don't care what the Vatican thinks. So <laughs> that's interesting. That's what uh, was new from the Vatican and from Francis this week. Yeah, thank you, Pontus. And I think we don't have a COVID update. We have some news about COVID within the news section, but I'm pretty sure we're skipping the COVID update, right? Right. Okay, so let's jump over to the news then. I can pretty much start with some news about COVID <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, or COVID-related news um, because there have been attacks and riots in Cyprus after they announced vaccine measures and COVID measures. There was a TV station attacked and they even torched cars in Nicosia. They, they saw around 2,500 protesters that rioted in the streets there. On this day, it got announced that they want to have enforced vaccination I couldn't find out really what that means, but hmm. they they really had riots going on there. Luckily, no people got hurt, but livelihoods and, and cars. And if you think about like what got hurt, they definitely got hurt by COVID because they uh, Cyprus had 90,000 cases and 384 deaths. Hmm. So... Where while I'm not against demonstrations per se, because dem like demonstrations are a democratic right, obviously, I am for thinking about what's better, what's worse. <laughs> and um, if, if someone is offering me a vaccination against a sickness that already caused over uh, like almost 400 people off my island, <laughs> I would probably say, give me the vaccination. Although, like, I, I can say, like, forced, I don't know, it's it's always a difficult thing to force people to do something like that, especially if it contains doing something to their body. Yeah. But it was the wording. You can't really, like, for example, if you grab someone and you pin them down and you then give them the vaccine, that's, I would say, is enforced. But if you say... Mm, you don't have to get the vaccine. You just can't go into a bar then. Then I wouldn't say that's not enforced. No, that's right. Because it's not about you then. Because yeah. it's about your the risk of you yeah. transmitting the disease to other people. So it's just being considerate yeah. about your fellow people. 
So that, that, that's crazy. I, I demand to spread the virus to others. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that's my right. A crazy position. <laughs> So yeah, they, they had really these um the, these attacks going on, these protests. Let's hope it won't take further attacks there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking of the on the same topic, we have the same kind well, not the same kind of pr- protests, but the same kind of sentiments here in Sweden. And um, uh, they're not being violent, well, not at the moment, and I don't <laughs> think there are too many, but there is a group that organize themselves under the name Freedom Festival. In English, actually, it's not the translation. <laughs> they call it Freedom Festival. And uh, they are currently traveling the land from place to place, from town to town, to arrange some kind of parties where they get together and they dance and sing and they wear no masks and they take no precautions at all. They are not being vaccinated and they celebrate the stupidity of ignoring everything <laughs> that's safe. I'm so saddened to see this happening. And it, it's crazy. I can't understand it. Sounds like a COVID Woodstock, but without love and happiness. Right. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I hear I wasn't there at Woodstock. Me neither. I, was, I'm, I'm, I hear that it wasn't always as fun as, as uh, the memories of it was afterwards. So these um, Freedom Festival guys, they have a long list of places that they will go to. And they are going to at the, as we speak, I guess. But the actual exact location is only released a few hours before each event and only to members of their secret group on the platform Telegram. I I guess as protests go, this is rather mild. It's not burning cars or doing anything Mm. that violent. (laughs) But I I guess it's so stupid. Let's show up and infect each other. That's sort of their motto. I don't know who they're protesting. I mean, in Sweden, there's no mandatory vaccinations. It's so stupid. I, for example, if if it's something that really concerns my freedom. So, for example, if the government would say tomorrow, women are only allowed to wear skirts. Very sexist, very shitty. Hmm. I would protest. I would protest immediately. And I would I would say, like, no, that's my, like, it's my right to wear what I fucking want. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the government is trying to protect everyone with masks and <laughs> with vaccines. <laughs> so they're not saying like, oh, you're not allowed to do this and that because yeah. we, we, want to, we want to be assholes, but because we want to protect our population. Yeah, this is just, I mean, we, I've, I've been told that as a skeptic, you should avoid the term common sense because common sense isn't as common as you would <laughs> want it to be but it is just common sense don't yeah. don't spread the virus yeah. maybe it's just sense without common <laughs> right that's probably it something that also really made sense for me is this piece of news i've got about barf do you remember barf oh yes oh yes that's the i don't know if it's the worst or the best brand name ever yes <laughs> it's so fitting we talked about it in episode 242 with uh, stephanie handel who is the skeptic vet yes. and this story is is really bath worthy <laughs> because, <laughs> <laughs> because a study found out that there are multi-drug resistant bacteria in dog food the trend for feeding dogs raw food might maybe fueling uh, the spread of antibiotic resistant bacteria in a study from researchers from the University of Porto, oh. they examined dog food samples and they found enterococci, and that was in more than half of the samples and in all of the raw. Right, because if you don't cook the food, yeah. you don't kill the bacteria. Exactly. Yeah. 
Some species of these bacteria are intrinsically resistant to antibiotics, which makes them dangerous anyways. There have been like outbreaks um, already. They looked at 50 to uh, 55 samples and 54% of these samples contained enterococci and 40% of these 54 had multi-resistant bacteria in them. So this is pretty risky if you think about it. And it's also a thing that is very overlooked because it's, it's for pets and everything, which makes it very dangerous because dogs have very close contact to humans. But this also doesn't only concern dog food production, but all meat production, like all meat production, especially if it's with raw meat, it can give way to that. Yeah. And I think what Luna is trying to tell us from behind here <laughs> is that dogs can perfectly well eat cooked food. Show yeah. me a dog who cannot eat a meatball. It's, yeah, it's like it's stupid to, to insist that they have to be raw food because that's somehow more natural. Yeah, it's ridiculous. All right, then. Um, change of topic now. Climate change. Greenland still belongs to Denmark, regardless of Donald Trump. <laughs> you may recall <laughs> Trump had this ridiculous intention to try to buy the whole of Greenland, which, of course, never happened. Good for everybody involved, I think. And, and Greenland doesn't really want to belong to either US or Denmark, but they would prefer to be an independent country. Uh, at least a lot of people in Greenland want to do that. And I should say they do have their own local government and special status within the Danish monarchy. So they have some sort of independence. But to make really make it on their own, they would need to be financially independent as well. And they do have fish, I suppose, and some minerals. But uh, they've been hoping really over the years to find oil and natural gas in Greenland or off Greenland uh, as well. And that would add quite a lot of income to them and that would help them towards full independence. Oil would help. But there is a problem, of course, which links oil to global warming and back to Greenland again, because Greenland has these huge glaciers that are rapidly disappearing due to climate change. And it's not just about destroying the local nature, but also it will contribute to increased uh, global sea levels. So the news this week is that the Greenland government has decided to suspend their search for oil, even if this will sacrifice their opportunities for independence. So they're taking the responsible way here and uh, not going forward with their oil uh, search program, which is very good for not just for them, I think, but for the rest of us as well. And I, I yeah. think they need some credit for that. Yes, of course. I can't tell if this is the only consideration here. This is how the news is being uh, construed. But often politics is more complicated than just one reason. So uh, I don't want to make too much of this. But still, I, I, I will give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well done. And this is good news. Yes, it is. Something not so good is that my baby is gripping the microphone, but also... <laughs> She is um, <laughs> very eager to be on the show. Yes. So something that just turned up is that the Danish artist Kurt Vestergaard, and also please send in how it's pronounced. <laughs> um, he died at the age of 86 in his sleep after a long time of ill health. And if you're asking like, well, Annika, who is Kurt Vestergaard? He was behind one of the 12 drawings published by the daily newspaper Posten in 2005 under the headline, The Face of Mohammed. 
Mm. So he was the famous one of the Muhammad caricatures. Yes. Yes. These caricatures were like he didn't do all of them. He only did one of the twelve published. Mm-hmm. These drawings sparked anger because in the Islamic tradition, no image of the Prophet should be produced or shown. And the anti-Danish violence spread in 2006. There were even uh, Danish embassies attacked around the world. And this is even linked to the 2015 massacre in France where 12 people died in the Paris office of Charlie Hebdo of the satirical magazine. Right. Vestergaard also uh, received death threats until the end of his life, empty and not empty-handed. So the police uh, caught a perpetrator in, in 2010 who already had a knife and, and was very close to him. But he also received a lot of other threats and had police protection until he died aged 86, but of a natural cause. Yeah, it's probably no surprise to people that I'm not a fan of religion. And that includes Uh, all religion, (laughs) even if I usually talk about the Pope. But uh, if your religion is so fragile that you cannot take it, that somebody on almost on the other side of the globe is making a drawing and you believe that this will offend God so much that you have to travel over to Denmark and and try to kill that person, then then there's something seriously wrong. I mean, if your God cannot make that punishment himself... Let's say that it is really a crime. Uh, I don't know <laughs> yeah. why why you should take on that assignment. It's not comprehensible from an outsider's point of view. Yeah, and it's also on the one hand, I have to say, like I also believe in like decency and politeness. So I wouldn't do it. Like I wouldn't publish right. any any caricature because I know it hurts people. Like even if it like just take anger aside, it also hurts them because they believe in it. So like who am I to hurt people? But on the other hand, hey, if someone wants to draw something and publish it, it's also their right to do it. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not necessarily a fan of provoking, <laughs> um, but on the other hand, even if it was a, a provocation. It still never, never, never warrants any violence. Mm. No, I, I fully agree. Okay, to round things up for, from today's news, I have a follow-up from the Macchiarini scandal. It's not a fully over yet. Uh, for those who, of you who do not remember, Paolo Macchiarini, he is the disgraced doctor who falsified his research in order to uh, be able to perform experimental throat surgery on human patients and that resulted in many deaths or several deaths i should say a handful of deaths it's a terrible story falsified the research he said he had done in in animals got permission and then he experimented on people who died so really really awful yes there were three whistleblowers from this scandal this was back in in 2018 And they were themselves discredited and they lost all their grant money and have been blacklisted from research due to their earlier collaboration with Macchiarini. Now, they don't feel that that's very fair since they were the ones who reported Macchiarini in the first place. And the news this week is that they have now taken their case to the Strasbourg Court Mm -hmm. or the European Court of Human Rights. And they've done that to get reparations and uh, get some sort of uh, rehabilitation. It's an interesting development. We'll see how that goes on. 
I don't know all the details, of course, and maybe they also did some shady stuff with Macchiarini before they blew the whistle, so to say. But we cannot have a system that punishes people for calling out fraudulent research. So yeah. uh, from that point of view, I, I do hope that they get uh, some reparations. Yeah. But I think this is the case for a lot of whistleblowers, right? Mm-hmm. That's so, right. Well, I think if it's for humankind, like if it's for a good cause, for greater good, so to say, mm -hmm. then we can only applaud whistleblowers because they will always have drawbacks. Yes, for, uh, you, you have to be fairly brave or very brave in some cases yeah. to become a whistleblower. Yeah, I think some of them are really right to do that. <laughs> ah, really? <laughs> Speaking of, do we have a really right or really wrong this week? Because then we could close the news section and jump over to that. <laughs> we do, we do. Right, so speaking of fraudulent research... Even in the scientific community, there are anti-vaxxers and idiots who, who want to perpetuate conspiracy theories uh, surrounding the pandemic and COVID-19 and all of that. And one such guy is Harald Wallach at Poznań University in Poland. And I am sure I butchered both his name and the name <laughs> of the university. So please send us your sound files at info at the ESP.eu uh, to correct my pronunciation. But I, I couldn't find a, a, how to pronounce it properly. So Harald Wallach, or, or however it's pronounced, he is apparently not new to controversial ideas in science. And he has advocated in the past for a quote, Revision of, of the concept of evidence-based medicine, end quote. That's never a good sign if you want to question evidence-based medicine. He's also promoted holistic and homeopathic alternatives to, well, real medical care. But now he seems to have outdone himself, getting two entirely separate papers concerning uh, the pandemic retracted in just two weeks. So first, on 4th of July, a paper was retracted from the journal Vaccines, which claimed that, quote, for three deaths prevented by vaccination, we have to accept two inflicted by vaccination, end quote. So he's saying that for three deaths that you prevent by vaccination, you get two deaths that are caused by vaccination. That's totally wrong. He should have known. He probably did know it. It was based on statistics from the Dutch National Registry of Side Effects, but that registry carries a clear warning label that the data cannot be used in that way, which the paper used it, mainly because it is self-reported side effects without any validation of a link between the vaccination and the effect or side effect. And we've seen this in, in many countries. Most countries have this kind of register. And, uh, you know, even if you get run over by a bus the day after a vaccination and, and a person files a, a complaint that this was probably due to vaccination, it is kept in the registry, even though, of course, that example is ridiculous. And also, Valak's reply to this criticism was crazy. He basically said three things. He said, one, this is the only data we have, so we should use it, even if it's crap. Two, it's not his fault that the data is flawed. And three, <laughs> there was nothing wrong with his statistical analysis of the data. But if you know all this, you also know that regardless how well you perform your statistical analysis the result is going to be garbage because, you know, garbage in, garbage out. 
It's still his fault. <laughs> he should still take responsibility for that. Then the second paper uh, that was retracted on 16th of July was in another journal called JAMA Pediatrics. And that claimed that face masks are dangerous and they trap concentrations of carbon dioxide, which is harmful for the person wearing the mask. But the journal has now retracted a paper saying that there were clear issues with the methodology of the paper and the device that was used for collecting the carbon dioxide levels was also not the right one. And also they say, quote, there were issues related to the validity of the study conclusions, end quote. So in a very short time, and they were retracted very shortly after being uh, published as well. He has in two different scientific fields, published two papers. One is about uh, the safety of vaccines and the other is about safety of wearing face masks. And I don't know, you probably, he's probably not an expert in either field, but in, <laughs> in any case, he's not an expert in both fields because that's very unusual. So I'm happy to say now that the, the Poznanj University has now terminated any affiliation with, uh, with him. So he is getting what he deserved. He gets his papers retracted. He gets his collaboration with the university ended. And that's a good thing. But for clearly making a great effort to misrepresent the science and therefore spreading misinformation relating to the pandemic, Harald Wallach gets today's prize for being really wrong. Well-deserved. Mm, yes. <laughs> Another well-deserved prize. I think so. I still remember that like parts of this study totally went like stirred up things in at, at the school when I was uh, still working when like when I was uh, still pregnant <laughs> mm -hmm. um, because uh, the parents were like oh you can't make the children wear the masks in school right. because there was, will be a build up of CO2 and then they'll die <laughs> so I, I still remember that and, and that's why I say like yeah really really de well deserved price for yeah, really yeah, well. it's ridiculous I mean we, if that was a big problem we, we would have known that for a long time because yeah. masks is not something new yeah. uh, lots of professionals use masks all the time yeah. in the hospitals etc yeah it, and immunocompromised children true yeah like they wear masks too <laughs> so. right. clearly bullshit yeah definitely but thank you Pontus for giving out this this well-deserved prize thank you And that actually concludes our show, but it wouldn't be the ESP if I would let you go without a quote. And the quote today is by Rosalind Franklin, who is also sometimes called the dark lady of DNA or the forgotten heroine. Yes, right. <laughs> and she lived from 1920 to 1958 and she said... Science and everyday life cannot and should not be separated. Science, for me, gives a partial explanation of life. I do not accept your definition of faith. It is belief in life after death. Your faith rests on the future of yourself and others as individuals, mine in the future and fate of our successors. It seems to me that yours is the more selfish. As to the question of a creator, a creator of what? I see no reason to believe that a creator of protoplasm or primeval matter, if such there be, has any reason to be interested in our insignificant race in a tiny corner of the universe. Well, quite a long quote. 
Yes. But I do agree. I do agree. It was, it was so good, I didn't want to cut it. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. You have to have the whole stuff. So, um, very well. I haven't heard this before. I, I, I didn't. She died fairly young. I think yes, she, yes. So, and uh, of course, we, we remember her now as the one who should have been included in the Nobel Prize regarding yeah. the DNA. It was her photography that gave crucial hints on how the structure of the DNA molecule exactly. uh, is built up. Yeah, and I was almost tempted to take her for this week in skepticism, mm -hmm. but I talked at length about her when I talked about Crick, and that's why I decided on right. Mendel. So, Rosalind Franklin, one of our heroes, and <laughs> that was the, the whistle to close the factory for <laughs> today. Was, yes, exactly. That concludes our show. Thank you, Pontus. Thank you. <laughs> And thanks to our listeners um, for st sticking up for, for us uh, and staying until now. And until next week, goodbye. Hello. Tschüss. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Can you hear? Yeah. There's an helicopter outside. I can hear it, yeah. I, I don't know why it is. They, they're trying to spy <laughs> on me. And I'm in the basement, so... <laughs> Good luck with that. Which makes it very dangerous as... Um... <laughs> There's some danger in the background some there. Danger yes. <laughs> That's quite a wrestling match you have there in the background. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Thank you. Here we go. She's very, very mum fixated mom at the moment. Yeah. saying <laughs> mum. Yeah, she, uh, I, she said mum the oh, other day. Oh, great. Do you have it on tape or recording? <laughs> no, it? we don't have it on tape yet. All right. <laughs> we should. We should. <laughs> and that's why I decided on Mangle. Right. Uh, Mangle. Oh, God. You have to cut that out. <laughs> <But> <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same person. <laughs>